Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Brooke Cups. Brooke is the head boys basketball coach at Centerville High School. After a 12-year run at Graham High School from where he was a graduate in 1995, Cups led that program for 12 years, making a state semifinal appearance in 2008. In 2012, he made the jump from his alma mater, Graham High School, to take over a Centerville program that had been led by legendary coach Jim Staley. And he's been there since 2012-2013, building and, and adding to the history of Centerville basketball. Uh, Brooke has a great story, uh, is an interesting guy, and we'll talk about his journey in coaching, coaching his son, and many other things in today's episode. Thanks again for joining me as I visit with Brooke Cups of Centerville High School. Hey, I wanted to interrupt the podcast just for a second to say thanks again for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But I had a quick announcement for any of our listeners that are coaches or interested coaches in Northwest and West Central Ohio uh, looking to get involved in a clinic or coaches social type setting. Coach Greg Elking at New Bremen High School and I are working together uh, to put on an event called Talking Hoops Coaches Clinic and Social. It is Saturday, October 17th at the Halls of Hanover in Minster, Ohio. Again, if you're interested, you'll need to RSVP to Coach Greg Elking. That's coachelk34 at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me and I can direct you uh, uh, to Greg to get the information you need. My email is coachjohncook at yahoo.com. It's got a limited capacity and we are holding it on October 17th. It's really short notice. So if you're interested at all, please RSVP now by contacting me. Again, coachjohncook at yahoo.com or contact Greg Elking at coachelk34 at gmail.com. Hope to see you on Saturday, October 17th in Minster. Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Uh, my guest today is Brooke Cups. Brooke is the head boys basketball coach at Centerville High School. Um, and th- that's a pretty simple statement, Coach, that probably doesn't come close to telling the story. And, and that's why the, we do the podcast. It's turned into a great way to, to hear about people's journeys in coaching. And I'm looking forward to hearing yours. So welcome to the program. I appreciate the opportunity, John. Thanks for having me. So let, let's kind of jump right in. First of all, I, I like to start one place, maybe work backwards and then build back up. So we'll get into your story. But if you don't mind, let's let's just talk a little bit about Centerville High School basketball. And, and I'd like to approach it in, in, in two ways. First of all, it's like a lot of coaching jobs or not like a lot of coaching jobs, you inherited a pretty well-established program and 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 really we're in a position that not a lot of first first time coaches or coaches taking over a job get to be in, but I'm sure that presented challenges. Can you talk about what, what you inherited at Centerville and what you've tried to do since you got the job? Yeah. I mean, obviously coach Staley had done, had been there a long time and had, had really built the program up to being uh, one of the better programs in Southwest Ohio. Uh, you know, when I was looking at, when I was at Graham, my wife and I had talked about, you know, there were only a few places we would leave Graham to go to, and Centerville happened to be one of them. Um, you know, they – so he is – he he and the guys that he had coached really established the tradition that is there now. Um, and so that was that was definitely uh, a, a benefit. And, you know, they had a huge uh, youth program that was already established and, you know, functioning, and I could get my hands in, you know, into it you know, kind of drive what we want to do all the way through the entire, entire system, which um, is really just kind of now that part of it's just kind of now starting to come to fruition. But, um, you know, being able to go in and, you know, 
expecting to win early on um not only you know myself the community but our players like they they had won so they knew they you know that i think that's a, a big battle early on in new jobs is kind of you teaching your kids how to win and to expect to win and we i just never had to i never had to deal with that so that's a that's a huge piece of it and it's you know it's nothing i did it's a complete you know tribute to um you know, Coach Staley and what he did and what he had established at Centerville prior to me coming there. Well, and some of our listeners will know and some won't, but Jim Staley was was at Centerville for, I think, 21 years uh, and, and, and had a tremendous amount of success, more than 300 wins in, in that time and, and had built a good program. So I always ask this question. It generally comes later in the podcast, but I kind of wanted to start here and then work our way back and tell your story is that when you take over a program that is is fairly well established, a, a longtime head coach, obviously a guy that's well respected in the community, and you're coming into a new job after having had you know a tremendous amount of success yourself, what did you look at as kind of the the prioritized list of things that you wanted to get accomplished in, in making it your program, if that existed for you? Um, well. I don't know. Like for me, at the, by that time, by the time I came to Centerville, I was pretty like early on at Graham. I had no idea what I was doing or who I wanted to be as a coach and what I what I was really trying to instill in my players. I was just coaching basketball like everybody else was coaching basketball. Um, what, by the time I had come to Centerville, I knew exactly what I wanted things to look like, and I wanted to know. I knew what I wanted kids to get out of being players in our program. Um, so for me, it was just, I mean, it was an opportunity to try to establish that in a new place and work with, you know, different kids, kids that a lot of kids that were focused on basketball. And, um, but, but like, I guess I never even, I never thought about like, Oh, like they won before me. I got to win. Like I, it was never like a comparison thing. I, it was just like, I'm just going to go down there and do what we do. And that's like, you know, I, I had some people, you know, I had some doubters early on, like, you know, you can't, you can't do what you did at Graham and went at Centerville. And I'm like, well, I, I'm about to find out. Like, <laughs> so, um, because I, I, this is how I know how to do it. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's what works for me. And I think that's really, you know, coaches that are starting out, that's the advice that I give them. It's just like, you need to figure out who you are what you believe in and like for us like we we operate on on four core values and tough passion unified and thankful are our core values of our program and when i came to centerville like that's i mean that's it like that's what we want our kids to leave our program with and we want to be better basketball players we want to win games we want to compete we want to do all that stuff but at the end of the day are they growing in those values and if they are then you know then we've done our job and in you're also a pretty good basketball team if you're those things, you know, if you're embodying those things. And so um, the basketball part takes care of itself. So my mission was really trying to trying to dig down deep and try to teach those kids like how to operate within those core values, um, both outside of the game and inside the game. Well, you just touched on something, Coach, that we're, we're at some point I'm going to do an entire series of podcasts on the core values thing. Uh, and and how guys come up with them and, and where they place their emphasis. I've I've talked to Matt and Andy Winters at Otterbein. I talked to Carl Creamer at Moeller High School. I talked to about four different coaches, Brett Norris, who all talk about core values and the importance to their program. And so I, I obviously am a believer in that. And I've worked in a couple of programs, at Bluffton University being one with with the with the men there, and then the, the women's team at Northern 
that placed a really high value on those things as well. So that that's going to be something that we, we could get into and maybe we'll uh, at another time. But th this is where I would kind of like to press pause and, and kind of back up and start telling your story, because I think that leaves us at a good place. When you talk about not knowing who you were as a coach initially and, and what you wanted to be as a coach and then reaching a place where wherever you go, whatever you attempt to do, you're going to start with tough, passionate, unified and thankful as your foundation. Uh, I'm curious then about the building blocks that got you there. So you're, you're a Graham high school graduate, I think class of 95, if I, if my research yeah. told me correctly, yeah. and, and you went to Capital University as a student and as a player out of high school, correct? Right. right. So let's talk a little bit about your, 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 your background in growing up high school career and who you played for. What I really want to get into between playing in high school, playing in college uh, the impact that certain people might have had on you. Who were the early influences in your interest to get into coaching? Um, well, so when I was in when I was in seventh grade, when I was in middle school, Tim Casey came to Graham as the head basketball coach, um, and he was at Graham for two or three years. But it was when I was in seventh grade, and that's really when I kind of fell in love with the game with Coach Casey. I just I thought he was the coolest thing in the world. You know, just he was all about basketball, and I, so I loved it. And I, at that time, I still played football, basketball, and baseball. I was, you know, it's kind of just a normal, small, small town kid doing everything. Um, then by the time I got into high school, my soft going into my sophomore year, Dave Zeller got the Graham job, and Z Z he just passed away a couple of weeks ago, uh, but he would be, I would say he would be the first coach that like changed how I like, made me think like, Oh, that's a cool thing to do. Like, cause he had a huge impact on me. Just like, I was this little scrawny sophomore and he started me as a sophomore and just poured confidence into me and had me playing better than I ever thought I could even play. Um, but mainly because he was telling me that I could. Um, and so, so Z had a huge impact on me. Uh, and then, you know, I went to Capitol and played for Coach Goodwin. And Coach Goodwin, he, what he, like the toughness piece of my core values is from, is from Co Coach Goodwin. Like there was, I mean, he was a young coach and he, it was, I mean, it was hard, hard. And he, it was, it was no nonsense, like, knock a guy out at one end let's go to the other end like it was <laughs> it was old school like you know you better you better strap them up um and there were things that i loved there were things i i hated but what i got out of it was i mean i got a lot of things in terms of you know forming who i am as a coach and what i accept you know what i accept and what i don't accept from our guys um, a lot of that came from, you know, the, the kind of the standard coach Goodwin had set. Um, you know, and I would say the third person is my dad. My dad was a, my dad had coached stuff throughout school uh, when I was growing up. Um, but my, my dad grew up with an alcoholic dad and was the first one in our family to go to college and um, just kind of changed the entire course of my family's life. And he was always, he was always the guy that would, like, I'd ride to school because he's a teacher and a coach, coach baseball for a while at Graham, um, was that baseball coach. And he just, he would never, he just would always very laid back and would never, like, rip me after a game on the way home. He would just, you know, ask me how I thought I played. And 
would never tell me how he thought I played unless I asked him how I, you know, what'd you think dad? You know, like it was always, it was just a kind of a, you know, it's your journey, your thing, go do your thing. And I'm here to watch, enjoy it and help you however I can. So, um, you know, I was, I was very lucky with those three guys uh, in terms of kind of forming, forming a lot of what I thought early on. Now, when I started out, I still was terrible. Like I was still, <laughs> like I, those guys all were really smart and really good. And then when I got the job at Graham, I, like I, when I got the job at Graham, Coach Zeller had actually retired and I called him. I was like, Z, will you just come back for one year so I can figure out how to coach? Like, I know I want to coach. We just come back, and he's like, "Oh, broke. We're gonna be terrible." Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, Z, just like, just one year. I need, I, I need to coach with somebody. So he comes back uh, and coaches for a year, and it was a great time, like being on the bench with him and stuff. And then he retired the next year, and I was fortunate enough to. I mean, it's the only job in the country I would have gotten. I was, so I was one year out of college um, and got the head coaching job at Graham, and was. I mean, I was terrible for my first five, six years because uh, I had no, had no values. No, like I said, I was, I was the, the cookie cutter coach. Like you run the new play, they'll think you, you know, you might win, put something new in. I had no identity. Um, and then what changed me was I went to a, I was at an athletes at an action convention and Dick Bennett was talking and he was talking about his five pillars. And I was like, well, geez, that makes a whole lot more sense than what I'm doing. Like, cause I mean, we had won some games in a couple of those years and, but it was like, there's no way I can maintain this. I'm just like, everything is just a, a chase for the next win for the next, like I, it's exhausting. And so uh, when I heard coach Bennett talk, I just, I mean, I was like, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. And so that's when I started thinking about who I was and establishing my core values and then instilling those into our program. And, and then that kind of changed the course of Graham basketball and kind of brought me to where I am. And coach, you just said something that resonates so much. And I hope if there's young coaches listening, particularly young coaches, but, but anybody really is that it really can bite young coaches where you, you don't not know exactly what your why is. Mm-hmm. And so your why becomes because I have to win. And, yeah. and and that's a dangerous place to get because I think what happens with a lot of young coaches is then everything becomes dependent on them and what they do individually. Yes. And, and and so if we win, it's on me. If we lose, it's on me. And and you, you use the word exhausting and that resonates so much to me. Um, you know, it, it was a very, it was a faddish kind of word to say burnout, you know, happens to coaches, but that that's one good way to describe that exhaustion that you feel when, when you feel like it's just all on you and, and when you talk about instilling something in your program that everybody can identify with, then everybody kind of starts carrying the load a little bit, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, that's, I, that's where the importance yeah. comes in. Well, it, and it becomes controllable. Like that's the thing you, like I get, I get frustrated. And, I mean, I guess I've never won any state championships, so that's fine. I'm not as good of a coach as a lot of people that won state championships. If that's how people want to judge me, that's fine. Um, but there's a whole heck of a lot of really, really, really good coaches that never won state championships. And so, like, you know, I, I think back to my high school coach, like Coach Zeller never won a state championship. I, I would take Coach Zeller over every coach I've ever encountered, like every single one of them. 
And it's like, so that made me think like, man, there's got to be another way to, to gauge success on this stuff. And so when you start thinking core values or you start thinking something bigger than just winning games, now it puts it back in your control. And so now it's not, well, did I win or did I lose? Did we have a winning record? It's, that's not what you're basing it on. It's like, did, did our guys grow in this area and did they, are they move forward in their life? And when you judge it like that, like sleep a lot better at night, like you, you, and you know, like the, like it just, it has more meaning and, and a lot of the stuff that didn't matter before, like, you know, it, that does matter. And a lot of stuff that you thought really was important, it doesn't matter at all. And so, <laughs> It's, I don't know. It, for me, it was very refreshing. Like it, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, I'm still, I mean, I'm still living off of it. I, over the quarantine, I actually wrote a book about like, like that journey. And then like some like ways to find your values and your purpose and coaching for young coaches. And, um, you know, I never thought I would write a book, but like I had time. So I started doing some stuff and, but, but like that, because I think that's so important. Like that's the, that's the only thing I tell young coaches. I also think it's really bad for young coaches to win right away. Oh, because then you think you got to figure it out. You think it's, you know, fools go. I, I'm the difference. Yeah. That, that's uh, I, I know that feeling, you know, it's, it's funny because, and I do not do anything on this podcast to talk a lot about my experiences, but I, I was a little bit like you. I got a, I got a head coaching job right after I graduated from college. I spent four years as a student assistant at, at Ohio Northern, and then my my fifth year of college because I was one of those special guys that needed five years to complete a four year degree. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I coached I, I coached the JV team my fifth year of college, and and the guy I worked for left the teaching profession that summer, and so I, I had student taught there, coached there as a JV coach. So they hired me. I mean, the program wasn't in very good shape. They hired me. And the, the first year, I, all I knew was, I guess I just thought you had to be loud and, and, and make, sure, make sure everybody knew you were out working everybody else by how many stupid hours you put in doing stuff that probably wasn't important. But what you said was interesting. We, we won four games the first year I was a head coach. The next year we won 16. And I don't remember ever saying this or feeling it, but I look back on it. And I think what I probably decided was, well, yep, I, I got this figured out. And, and and then it then when it goes badly after that or does it go as well as you would like it to that you talk about that pressure building and that exhaustion taking hold so I want to talk a little bit about that because when when you took over the program at Graham and as you said didn't know anything I'm not sure that that's actually true but we'll, we'll use that as our foundation it, that was, when, that's pretty close when you took over the program you're inheriting a program from a, a legendary guy a guy you tremendously respect you're at your alma mater there obviously was some built-in pressure to be successful uh to to meet a certain standard and and you you the way you describe it is you kind of stumbled onto a different way of thinking um when, when you when you go to make that shift in mindset and how you're going to operate was that difficult creating buy-in from your staff was that was that a difficult transition for your program as a whole um <clears throat> A little bit, I, I, but the the thing, the advantage you have when you're at your alma mater, and it was part of the reason I was excited about the opportunity at Centerville is like I had credibility because like I played there, they knew people knew who I was, they knew I could play, and so I kind of had credibility in terms of basketball. I mean, it's not like Graham's like this hot basketball hotbed where everybody's basketball savant there. You know what I mean, like. Like, but they but they appreciate sports and like it's like they love they love athletics and they love 
um, competing. And so um, that part of it, like if I told them we were going to run flex and play a one, three, one, they were like, okay. You know, <laughs> but, um, but the, the thing that, the thing that really turned it for me, like those first five or six years, I mean, the values and all that stuff swung it for me, but I finally, like I had, there were about three years before I went, before I switched to the way we play now and we've played since, um, that I was still running sets and doing stuff like, like Z did or like coach Goodwin did. Like those guys were set guys. Like they ran and they, you know, they both played man and didn't switch anything. And so I, from the stuff that I watched and I had studied, I loved playing a little bit faster. I loved playing motion, like teaching kids how to play and running hardly any sets. And I loved switching everything defensively and trying to make people do stuff that they hadn't practiced to try to score against you. Like that's how I thought. That's how I thought the game should be played. And so I went the first four or five years, I did exactly what they, they had done. And then I went about three years where I was scared to, like make the actual X and O's change to what I believed in. And finally, I just didn't do anything but what I thought. Like I finally just burned the ship, put the values in, ran our stuff like the way I wanted to run it, and just said, oh, well, I guess we're going to lose, we're going to lose. Um, and so that was really the, the, the turning point for me, like trusting myself and how I viewed it, even if it was different. It was, it was like that was when I finally just trusted myself. That's, a, a, I think, a very powerful statement. You know, I, the other thing that I think is undeniably true is there are so many resources available to coaches today. And there's so many different ways to see and and quote unquote learn things and be exposed to so much stuff that I, I don't know where it happens, but it can happen when coaches start to attach their ideas or their beliefs to what, well, so-and-so is doing this, or so many people are doing this, this must be the way to go. And there's a remarkable amount of importance, what you said, in finding yourself and believing in yourself, because let's face it, coach, we're not going to go find a video on something that somebody put together because it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) you know all the videos work all the stuff that you can find so finding who you are and what you are and believing in yourself is is a remarkably important thing and something that i think is interesting from from your perspective because this happened when you were a fairly young coach but you were not an inexperienced coach by that time and i i think there's a lot of value in that i want to want to kind of get into that just a little bit um in that you know, you said four to five years kind of doing it their way. I, I think we actually met, you and I talked before we started recording, probably during your first year, because I, I was at Jackson, I was at Jackson Center in 99, 2000, and 2000, 2001. Yeah, and, yeah. And my, so, my first year was 2000, 2001. And so that's when we would have met at Trading Tapes yeah. in an empty parking lot somewhere near West Liberty, Ohio, um, <laughs> is, is what I remember. I remember it being raining. It looked a lot like it did today yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for whatever reason. But when, when you're in that in that mode – that early, like, you know, said third, fourth year in when you're realizing I need to make a transition and make a change. Um, we haven't even talked, but you said you were fortunate enough to win some games. Uh, how was the win-loss record during that time that you were making that change? Was Did that take some of the pressure off as far as the average fan might might see it? Did they, Were they seeing on-court success? Um, moderate. Like, you know, it was, it was acceptable. I think their on-court success, like it was, 
it was okay. We were we had a year where we were like eighteen and two, and then we had years where we were like fifteen and ten, and you know, we like we had we were okay. We had winning records most years. We had a couple of years where we dipped down under five hundred. It was just kind of like 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 I think outside the program, those people were content, like because. I mean, I think most people like eh, they don't have much talent. Oh, they got talent, so they won some games, and and that's exactly how it went. Like when we had good players, we won. When we didn't have good players, we lost. Um, what we never did during that time is we never overachieved. Like we never, we never just won games because we did stuff right, and we were we were engrossed in our program and our system and our culture. Which after that, we won a whole lot of games, like a whole lot of times just because of that like just because of our kids believe so much in what we were doing and how we did it that they would we'd win games i was like i have no idea how we i don't know why we're in the district finals i don't have a clue that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome the the question i guess that leads to for me and i said this before you know you, you you can get out there now and you can find coaches who Hey, I'm a I'm a dribble drive guy, and this is what we do. So let, let's get I can talk to two or three of those guys and learn the dribble driver. I'm a ball screen continuity guy, and here's kind of the wrinkles we use. And I can talk to those guys to to find out when you were really starting to shift your focus onto core values and and that 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 Dick Bennett five pillars thing began to impact you. Were there other high school coaches in your circle that you were able to talk to, spend time with about those types of things that weren't X and O related? Um, not really. Um, you know, like for one, I wasn't in a good circle at that time because we weren't good. We weren't like, we were good for Champaign County, but like we weren't good outside of that. Nobody, nobody would play it. Like, you know what I mean? I hadn't expanded my circle at that time. Right, I was, right. I, I just, I mean, Carl was one of the first people to give Graham, Graham a chance to, to like play somebody like Moeller. Um, Coach Staley at CJ, um, you know, Joe was one of the first guys to, to let us play at Graham, somebody, you know, that was respectable and good outside of, you know, our area. So, you know, the, the whole, the whole core value stuff was pretty much like I study. I mean, I obviously watched a lot of Coach Bennett stuff and I, but it was really just kind of like trial and error and just like, this makes sense like this is how i think you should do it and like so it was more of a you know it's it's wild to think back to it now like i mean i've got a couple of businesses that i've helped find their core values and like i've helped you know i mean it's one of the things i kind of do on the side is like help individuals find their core values and whether they're like business owners and small business owners and then you know a couple of companies have asked me to help you know identify theirs and, and the standards and stuff that go along with them and so it's kind of cool to think where it's gone from that. But at that time, it was really just me saying, I know I can't do this forever. It's just like anybody that hits rock bottom. Like I was at a point where, you know, the, the frustration and pain of staying where I was, was greater than the pain of changing and, you know, doing something different. So I, so I changed, I mean, um, and I just knew I love coaching. I love the impact and the relationship with kids. I knew the way I was doing it. I could not maintain that. Coach, I hope that's something that people hear. I hope coaches hear that because I think oftentimes, particularly if we're if we're junkies and we love it, I, I think the, the mindset can be, well, I love coaching and I can't see myself doing anything else, so I'm just going to do this. And 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 there is a lot of a lot to be said for guys who 
what they love makes them miserable. And, and yeah. the idea that you would pursue that for 10, 12, 15, 20, 25 year career without being willing to look at it and say, I, I love it and I want to do it. How do I do it in a way that doesn't make me miserable? Um, I, I hope there are people listening that hear that and start to do some self-examination because I think there's a lot of value in that. So what I want to get into, and I, I'm not going to ask the next question right now because we're actually right, we're just shy of a couple minutes needing to take our break. So if it's okay with you, we'll take our break. We, we kind of blew by something there that I'd like to circle back to. And then I want to talk about reaching the point where you did decide to make the move and we'll get into your time uh, there at Centerville as well right after we take this break. Hey, I want to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement has ended after four months. and, And I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm where you can uh, donate to the podcast on a monthly basis, and it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that, that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to, to gain from it and pay off some things too on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm and uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. So, Coach, we, we kind of blew past – well, one thing we blew past that we're definitely coming back to is you wrote a book. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And, and and I'll give you a chance to tell people where they can get that book if it's possible to get it. Uh, or, or what to, that, That'll come a little bit later because there's a whole separate set of things I want to talk about before the end of the podcast. But you talked about your, your role here that has kind of evolved for you in helping other entities, businesses, and whatnot find their core values. And, and when you established yours and – and, and they began to evolve and become really the centerpiece of what you do as a coach and how your program is built. I'm curious to know if once that happened, if you shifted less of a focus on goal setting and goals for your team and, 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 and was that focus on core values, did it result in that type of change? Yeah, but that's a great question. And I am, I am 100% against like setting destination goals, like win a, win a league championship, win a whatever. Like if we're playing high school basketball in Ohio, our goals, to, I mean, our goal, like we're trying to win a state championship. I don't care what school you're playing at, what you're like, that's what you're trying to do. Like that's what everybody's trying to do. So we don't talk about those at all. Those are results that are a byproduct of the process that you go through. So for us, we just had our retreat with our guys this past weekend and um, our guys set the goal to attack every opportunity with purpose. So that is our, that is our goal for the year um, to attack every opportunity with purpose. Um, And I'm, I am sold that if we do that, we're probably going to have a a shot to win the league, probably going to have a shot to win the district, the regional and have a chance to go to the state. Like, I just think, 
I think that if you trust that process, um, a lot of really good things happen. Like, like, just think about that. Attack every opportunity, every practice, every weightlifting session, every morning workout that we have, every four-man workout, every, like, you're going to attack every one of those. Like, that's, I mean, that's an exceptional commitment. And, like, those are the goals that I think people should be focused on. For us, our core values have have four behaviors that go with them. So the what, what our guys are graded in, in like, we we chart on film and we I have I have like or sometimes our uh, trainers student trainers will keep track of stuff for us but we like toughness for us is positive body language so like always having positive body language and we say we our phrase for it is being fight ready like our passionate is choosing to do extra work because I don't think anybody is anybody is made in the time that they're given. And for a job, for a basketball player, for a teacher, like you're defined by what you do outside of the expected time. Um, unified is to speak and act with urgency. We want guys to hold each other accountable. Um, we want Michigan State type huddles where, you know, there might be guys going back and forth with each other, but they know at the end of the day they love each other and they care about each other and hold them accountable because they want what's best for them. And then, uh, thankful is we want to show love and we measure that by getting touches within the game on the bench um so like we take that and then we say okay we got those core values and those behaviors and now those are what are that purpose in that in that goal is so to attack every opportunity with purpose like with a purpose to grow in those values and to become the best person best player that we can become so like the goal is a big deal for me but it has nothing to do with the destination stuff that a lot of, a lot of, you know, kind of people talk about and set. We don't, we don't talk about that at all. I, 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 now I wish I had a way to charge for this podcast. Cause that, that, that's shit right. There's worth money. Uh, <laughs> no, that, honestly, that, that's, that to me, that's where the, and that, that actually kind of took away from what my next question was going to be. What I said, we kind of blew past is once you have the core values, what, what does it look like in your program uh, to, to make sure that they are emphasized what, what what and so you talked about the behaviors that are attached to the core values I didn't know that's what you did I just knew that there had to be a way to to, to measure it some or to, 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 to notice it recognize it and and uh, and and reward it in some capacity or at least make sure that people are aware when it's being observed and I, I think those tying the behaviors to the to the core values is what actually gives them life um, so I, yeah, it, it, I agree. That's, that's actually, I think, like you said, that's the money ball. And that's really what I've done with some businesses and stuff, because I think a lot of people say they have core values. They got them plastered on the wall and stuff, but what you have to have in order for it to become your culture is you have to have a behavior that goes with it or else like what, what tough means to me and what tough means to a 15 year old kid from Centerville, like. I'm a I'm a forty some year old guy from Champaign County out in the country in the middle of nowhere. My tough and a fifteen year old kid in Centerville's tough are not the same thing. <laughs> no, no, you know they're not. I mean? Yeah. And so, so like, I, like identifying that behavior and being clear about it, like it's you can't expect kids to to live by your core values if you don't define them for them and you don't you know identify what that behavior looks like to them. And when you do, though, damn, they they are all about it. They'll they'll jump right in. So I think that's a it's a huge part of it. Well, and, and so this is going to tie into like the next step in your journey, because 
you know, you, you you can do the things you did and you can make the shift that you did and really start establishing those core values. And I don't know exactly what year you kind of settled on tough, passionate, unified and thankful. Maybe that was an evolution over time. But, you know, after. Yeah. And after seven, eight, nine years at Graham, the on court success was it, it was actually remarkable. You end up in the state semifinals in 2008. Uh, and, and, and we're really good. Again, I just tried to do a little bit of research. Uh, I think if what I looked up is correct, between 07 and 11, you guys were 88 and 11 as a program. Um, that's unheard of. Um, and and it, it's in conjunction with with this, this shift and the, the intensifying focus on the things that you say matter to you. What was what triggered your interest in making the change and leaving Graham? I mean, you're there as the head basketball coach. You've built a great program. You're actually the athletic director uh, at that time in, in 2011, 12, when that comes around. What what really was the triggering instance for you or what was the thing that, that gave you the, the the curiosity about and maybe the, the, the interest in, in making a move? Yeah. Um, so those Graham teams we had during that stretch were unbelievable. Like, I mean, just the, the commitment to our program and our stuff was was off the charts. Like we, they were they were a group of kids to to coach the group that were, they looked like they were the bad news bears, but they could play some basketball. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the decision to come to Centerville. I mean, this is gonna not a real good answer to be honest. Like, I was the athletic director at Graham and team basketball, and they were ready to make some budget cuts. Um, and one of the things they were going to do was they they were me back to the classroom, which was I, I was okay doing. But since I had become an administrator, I could now not bump anybody from the classroom because I tenure whatever you call it um, at the time. So they were just going to have become an athletic director for for salary. That's uh, bad news. I'm already mowing the football field and painting the football field up the cross country fence and like getting water off the diamond. Like I'm that stuff at Graham. So, um, you know, when that was all happening, I was done being an AD. I'd actually gone to my superintendent and said, can I go back to the classroom? He checked for me and said, mm, not until the math teacher leaves. Cause that's what I taught. Um, and so I, I had young, I was, I was starting to like I had been the core value thing, and I started looking at myself and saying, "I'm not matching these core values." Unified and thankful, I'm not sh- to my family because I'm missing Gabe's, you know, little soccer game because I'm watching doing something or as an AD. You know, I'm missing daughter's thing because I got to do this, and I know you have to make some of those sacrifices. But it was to a point for me, it was like, I'm, I'm acting contrary to what, who I say I want to be. And so it became, when I go back, to, I was done being an athletic director. I loved my time doing it, but that, that season of life for me was kind of over. And so off in the classroom, I grant, what, what am I going to do? And so that's about a few schools that, you know, would, that are leaving Graham for and so of them and um, I actually had an interview for the Middletown job the year before that and they hired uh, uh, he took in did a really good job job at Taylor 
um, Justin. Yeah, yeah. So that, uh, and it was me and him in the house and they had, and then you know, the next year, the Centerville job came open, so I just, I inquired about it, and, you know, that's, that's really, it wasn't, to be more true to my, the value I believed in, I didn't think I was living those as the AD anymore, and then, you know, once I, once I got it, then I was excited about the challenge of instill the culture that I had brand new, because it wasn't intentional. I had I had been grown up there, and it just kind of happened. You know what I mean? Like it it kind of morphed into this great that good, and we were values, and we played that way. And our guys, I mean, they, you could tell like played a certain way. But it, it I, I had to, I had to doing it like it wasn't like I'm going down there see it like from the start and try to start you know was that was a me that challenge was appealing to me once i wrapped my head around leaving well and and i guess that's that's what's interesting to me for my next question is so i ask coaches this question a lot on the podcast when you compare taking your first job to taking your second job you know what were the similarities and what were the differences it sounds like you have zero similarities to, to what you took when you took over at Graham to when you were taking over the program at Centerville, all kinds of differences and no similarities. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was completely different, completely different. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, the, the answer I would always, I would give for that is like taking your second job always sucks way more because you've got to leave kids from your first job. Like, I mean, coaches in it, most coaches are in it because they care about the kids in the conversation with those kids from when I was leaving, that was awful. Like I still talk to them, still, you know, I, I still have relationships with them, but just a feeling of like they had given you so leaving, like that is a terrible feel. Um, and I, I mean, it's still, you know, and so I think that's uh, the worst part of, of the second job. You know, yeah. The exciting part is, you know, being able to kind of start and do something. And I was lucky, uh, you know, two of my assistants went with me to help me uh, kind of instill that culture. Because, and I think it'd be really hard just to go down there by yourself. I, it was it was very helpful to have some people that knew how I wanted stuff done and how we did things to help me um, kind of hold the standard that we were expecting. Well, and I was going to ask you about building the staff at Centerville, and I didn't know that you had some of your assistants go with you. I, I can't imagine uh, that, that it's even possible to, to quantify the value in that when you're going to go try to do what you're going to go do uh, with the program the way you were doing it now. But, you know, I, I worked for a guy at, when I was a student assistant in college. I worked two years under Gail Doherty and, and two under Joe Campoli. And uh, I remember when I was at Ada and I was always hesitant to leave, and, and Campy would say to me all the time, listen, if you if you don't leave because of the kids, you're never leaving because kid, kid, you're always going to care about kids. They're always going to be there. He said, but the thing you've got to got to get your head around is the same way that you feel about and the same thing you've gotten out of these kids. That can happen with anybody's kids because there are a whole lot of kids at that next place, too. And uh, and, and I think there's a lot of value and I don't I don't begrudge anybody loyalty and I don't begrudge anybody that. That, that puts down their roots and stays forever. I, I, in some ways, I wish I would have been that guy. 
but I also do know that what coach said is true that 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 next set of kids they it will be just as valuable you'll experience just as much or you can experience just as much passion and commitment and devotion from them and for them that you had in that first job and 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 that's the interesting thing to me where I would like to kind of take the next question is since you approached it so differently uh, the second time when, when you got the Centerville job, what, was there a was there a connection that happened quicker with the kids? Was it easier to create the buy-in to what you wanted because of the way you approached it than maybe it was in that first two or three years at Graham? Uh, uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, I think kids are, are so they the Graham, I, what I was doing. And when I was at Centerville, <laughs> I at least believe like, he's a, a plan for what he's doing. <laughs> so I think that part of it was that part of it was, um, you know, and by that time I knew the important things like, I knew, like the values were what we were doing started with that. And we, we have skull sessions before every 15 minutes of us talking most of the time related to our core values. Like that was new for those kids. Um, like coach Staley, he just like he may just not have had the work, so it wasn't a bell for the. It's like it was, you know, like they were they were they were very respectful, and you know that part of it wasn't wasn't difficult. The biggest challenge for me was like there was more more of a sense of entitlement. I I mean that's the, I don't know if that's the right word, but that's the best word that I can think of compared. Ram kid that I was used to coaching and like, like that, like the sense of entitlement of like, you know, I've, I've played here. I'm from Centerville. I've done this. I've done this. Like they felt like they deserve, some kids felt like they deserve things. And I just, I ne- had never dealt with that at Graham. I mean, it was just like never on the table. And so coming here, that was the first, that was the first big thing I had to get under control for me. Once I figured out like that was what I had to attack and that's how I had to, had to understand like, you know, just like I'm helping a Graham kid through that's like gain confidence and being able to play against really good players. I don't know. I have to, I have to help kids understand like, you know, anything like you're like, you're not, you're not entitled. And so helping them understand that once I viewed it as that's my opportunity for them rather than being because that's how some people's mindsets, I became a lot better at Centerville. Well, and, and we've talked clearly about the difference in your why in, in coaching. And, and I think that's a pretty popular question these days is what's your why? Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about y- the evolution of your how. In, in terms of your teaching the game uh, by, by comparing and contrasting what a, what a typical practice might've looked like in, in maybe years four, five, six, seven as a head coach compared to what a typical practice might look like today. Can you talk about some things that have changed in the, how you go about getting the game taught the way you want it played? Uh, that's a really good question. Um Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I think I probably um, would play live a lot more than we used to. Um, I, I was a much more drill, uh, drill guy early on. Um, I, but I transitioned to the live stuff while I was at Graham. 
Um, I think what I'm probably a lot more I'm more efficient at is holding the standard to what I think it needs to be to compete at the highest level. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if there's any way to get to that without some experience because, um, like, I I, th- I feel like I know what you have to be able to do uh, in order to be able to play for a state championship or be in that conversation with the molars. Like, I know we've beaten molar. So, I, I mean, I feel like I know I know what you have to be able to do to play at that level. Um, and so holding that standard, regardless of your next opponent is, how you've played the last game, how you played this game, I think that's something I'm much better at now. Um, and I think I think coaching through those values has been really important to my progress as a coach and, and what we're able to get out of kids because, you know, running back, jogging back on defense used to be you're lazy and you're this or that and you got to get out when now for us, you know, it's, it's a lack of being unified. It's a lack of, you know, you know, it's a lack of, you know, whatever, like it's related to our core values. You know, if you throw your hands up at an official, that's a lack of toughness. That's bad body language. So it's not, you know, you're being a punk or hey, I've just got, I've just gotten a lot better at, connecting those things for kids um which i think leads to way faster results um than me yelling at them them doing it again me yelling at them again me get mad throwing my clipboard and not that i don't ever do that still but <laughs> i try i try not to well when we're on the subject of of, of practice and, and efficiency was that was a phrase that you used and uh th- this may be a very elementary question but it's one that i, I ask very frequently uh, when, when you're in the throes of a season and you're trying to keep your focus off of, you know, maybe what we just did or who's ahead and really stay focused on who you are and, wh- and what you believe in and where you place your priorities. Uh, how do you how do you make the decision in a in a practice situation when something just isn't right? How married do you stay to the clock and what you had planned for that day and, and, and quote unquote, knowing when to punt? And and how how often do you or how do you balance that with no by God this we we're getting this right before we move on? Oh, I'm much more towards that way. Um, I I don't stay married to my schedule. I'm hardly ever like I write my schedule down to the minute, which I'm sure most people do. But like I like I will I'll adjust it. And if like if we're we're going a defensive shell drill and we're not closing out with our hands up the way we want to, or with our feet in the right angle, we'll just stop that drill and go do that. Like, I, so I'm, I'm married to the standard. I'm not married to the practice schedule. That, that That's a great answer. If my opinion matters, <laughs> yeah, well, <I> <laughs> that's a great yeah. answer. Uh, you and I talked when we weren't recording about the fact that after I spent some time with, with the women's team at, at Northern Mark Hulsman and I have be, become really good friends, and he and I have had various conversations about, you know, focusing on process and core values and, and not not being judged by the scoreboard, but but pursuing those standards and trying to let those create the results that, that, that you want and believe are going to happen. Um, and And – then the season starts and you get into games and the scoreboard's always lit up and it's always dictating certain things to you. Um, this is a question that some of the regular listeners of our podcasters are going to get tired of hearing, um, but it's one that I like to ask because I, I'm fascinated by the answers we get. When you're in the middle of a, of a game run or, or, or a series of games and you play the way you play 
and you play against various opponents, and some nights certain things are really effective and some nights they aren't. Mark and I used to struggle with the question that we put it this way, how do we know if it's them, meaning the players, or how do we know if it's us, meaning we've got to make some changes in what we're doing from a scheme standpoint or, or a, a, you know, specifics to how we're playing because they need our help. How, how do you determine when the players just aren't giving the right effort or paying attention to enough detail or when maybe it is that they need help from you and you've got to make some changes to, to what you're doing? Um, well, I think the answer is it's always my fault. Like it's always It's <laughs> exactly I mean, what Mark said. That's exactly yeah. what Mark says. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think, I don't know. I mean, you're the leader of the team. If the team's failing, it's the leader's problem. It's some Jocko Wilnick stuff. But, like, um, there's no such – what's he said? There's no such thing as bad le- bad teams, but only bad leaders. But it's like, you know, if, if we're not focused on detail, then I obviously haven't emphasized or coached the detail well enough for them to be focused on. And, I, I mean – I, I just think I think it always comes back to the coach. And I'm not just I'm not just saying that. I really do believe that. Now, sure, kids got to execute. And sometimes you got to you know kick them in the tail to get them to do that and to do it right and do it at the level. Like I've had plenty of those you know 30 second in timeouts where I'm you know snapping on people, but like it's still my problem. Like it's it's still my deal. Like if we're in the flow of a game. I, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but like, if we're in the flow of a game, how do I know like I need to do something? Is that what you're kind of asking? Yeah, I mean, I I guess that you you've kind of touched on it because anytime things aren't going well, it's either I got to make a change or we've just got to yeah. get refocused and we got to do better what we already are supposed to be doing. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I think most of the time, if I've done my job scouting and prepping and doing things, then most of the time it's, we've got to do what we do better. Like, I think that's the majority of the time. There are definitely times when we got to adjust, like they're doing something. I, I didn't expect them to go zone or we're not, you know, we're not moving well enough in our zone offense or whatever it might be. Um, but my cue is usually a breakdown in like some, something connected to a value or something connected to a standard, like, you know, if we start having bad body language, like if we're just missing shots or, you know, we, we've turned it over a couple of times, I might call a timeout to calm them down. But like, if it's, if it's like, we're starting to react to calls or we're starting, starting to, um, you know, put our head down after we've missed shots or we've, you know, like those type of things, those require like immediate, immediate response from me. Um, because those are, violations of our values well I, I think that makes it pretty clear and 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 I think again uh, when it's defined in that way I, I think it creates some clarity that maybe lacks in, in some programs or in some instances if coaches and, and programs don't have a clear way of defining how they're going about things and so I love that answer now I mentioned that that you wrote a book and I wanted to kind of kind of touch on that before we get to that I got about two more questions I want to ask I'm going to read something to you, and it should sound really familiar because it's your stuff. But um, I, I stumbled across this recently, uh, and it, it's the, the website. Blue Collar Hoops has been specifically designed to address the major needs of basketball around the country. Too often we see sloppy fundamentals, lackluster effort, and selfish play at the forefront of the game we love. These characteristics are simply a mirror image of the culture our youth see modeled every day. 
Um, that's just a portion of what's on the website at Blue Collar Hoops, which is centered around Centerville basketball. But talk a little bit about creating the Blue Collar Hoops thing, that what, what the idea was behind it, and how does it tie into that, that overall transition you made as a coach toward core values and, and standards? Yeah, um, so it started originally when I was at Graham. We started it right before I left Graham. And it was really just like, I'm sick of seeing kids travel and not be able to dribble the ball and not be able to pivot. Like, I'm tired of watching that. And so, um, you know, they go to these camps or they go to these trainers and uh, not every trainer is not bad. I don't, I'm not trying to paint that picture, but I mean, kids need to be able to pivot before they shoot step back jump shots. Like, I don't, I I can't (laughs) say it any, any more clear. Like it's what you need to be able to do. And so, um, that's really the essence of when blue collar hoops started and we've just kind of continued it. It's been, it's been awesome because, you know, Centerville, we have a ton of kids in it and it gives me one, it gives me a chance to get to know kids when they're young, you know, outside of our camp, our summer camps, we do, we do blue collar training stuff in the spring and in the fall when COVID's not around, we're not allowed to do it right now, but, <laughs> there you go. Um, but it, you know, it's, like we're teaching footwork on catches. We're teaching our, our pull up, like our left, right into our pull ups or inside foot into our pull ups on catches. You know, we're teaching, you know, shot fake step through stuff. We're teaching, you know, I mean, just ball handling. I don't think, like, I find it, like, for kids, if you're trying to teach an eighth grader how to handle the basketball, you're in trouble. Like a kid that can't, he can't get enough reps to be a good ball handler by the time he graduates. Like, I don't care how much he does. He can't be, he can't get enough reps. And so I think all that time is time that you're stealing. And, and then with each of our, each day of our blue collar stuff, we just pick one core value and we talk about that core value. And so it might be thankful and they get a homework assignment at the end of it. Like you need to make sure you thank your bus driver tomorrow. Like you need to thank your janitor at school. You need to take your dishes to the lawn or to the sink when you get done eating tonight. Like, you know, who are you thankful for? We let them share they're thankful for. And so we just, we just talk about it. And it's like, I think a lot of people shy away from that stuff with younger kids because of it. But I mean, we talk about our core values all the way down to our third, second third graders in our hustle program and they love it like they they have an identity they know what it means they know what you know same it's the same same premise really but it just gives you it, like for me it gives me a whole lot more reason to go do that stuff like same thing i i'm not i'm not really into the whole training thing i don't I, i've had people ask me because of gabe if i would you know do some training i just don't i don't like that like it's i like it all right when i'm doing it but i'm not going to spend all my time where the blue collar stuff i know that we're trying to drive our core values through to those kids and we're trying to help them understand that so it makes it i like it a lot better so well i my, my kid's a senior and he's already four and a half weeks into his senior year but if i could enroll him at centerville would you take him <laughs> <laughs> sure thing come on down because i don't know what kind of player he is i think i got a pretty good idea and i really don't care i, I do know he needs to put his damn dishes in the sink when he's done eating. <laughs> and he probably needs to thank his janitor at school for certain uh yeah. remarkable value so i so i do want to go back and touch on this as as, as a part of kind of a wrap-up you, you said you wrote a book during the pandemic time during quarantine time um and you got into it a little bit um, if something like that is just something that kind of happens and evolves when the opportunity is there, 
and and you could get into what the book is is about specifically if you like. And again, if if it's a book that's available, feel free to share that information because if any listeners would would love to have it. But when you do things like that, and you've already been involved with some business world opportunities as far as the leadership piece and and the foundational things about core values. Does that give you any inclination about what a life after coaching might look like? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I, that's what I that's what I see myself doing when I'm done coaching uh, is doing is working with um, teams and you know organizations and individuals and families. Like I'm actually I've got I've done individual um, individual core values. I've helped a husband and a wife find their individual core values, and then. Here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to meet, and, and they want to they want to identify family values that they can raise their kids based on. Um, where we find those behaviors, same kind of thing. We find the behaviors and the beliefs and the values, and so uh, that that's that's exciting to me because I feel like like my purpose in life. I know you t- you talked about your why, and I my my specific why is to to strive or to inspire others to strive for excellence over success, and so what that really means to me excellence is my definition of excellence like that's me maximizing my potential success to me is what society tells me is successful how much money i make how hot my girl is how sweet a car i drive how big my house is how many games i win what was the score like i i am trying to help the kids that i interact with i want them to understand that like they need to determine and evaluate their success or their excellence on their standards. And I think their standards should be their values. And so if I'm living by my values, then I'm achieving excellence in my life. Doesn't mean it's in your life. Doesn't mean it's in my, my wife's life. It's, but that's, that's what I believe and that's who I'm trying to be. And so if I'm living by those, that's excellence for me. And so, like, that's something I'm passionate about. Like, and so I love talking about that. And obviously, I'm blessed right now because I get to do that with coaching basketball. And it gives, it's just given me a great platform to do that. Um, and it, it's, you know, kids are so, they're so malleable right now. Like, they, they listen and they take that stuff in. And so you have that opportunity to impact so many kids in such a deep way. Um, so I'm just, you know, grateful for that. And, the book is really just how to go about doing that on your own. Like I, it's, it's kind of about my story and finding my core values. Um, it's, it's, a, you know, I took some liberties to make it actually a story. I kind of, I tried to write it a little bit like for God's sake, read for God's sake. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's written as a kind of a fable. And then at the end of it, it's got like, you know, how to steps on finding your core values, finding your, like, I think there's core values, there's uh, critical behaviors, and then there's beliefs. And those beliefs are like phrases that, that like embody that core value. So like for me, tough is a core value. My behavior is positive body language. But my belief, what I say to myself a lot of the times is fight ready. Like that's since I just think of like, okay, I'm going into an interview, fight ready, fight ready. Okay. I'm going in to give a speech, fight ready. Like I'm, I'm coming at it. Like, because I just think fighters, like I've never seen a fighter walk in with bad body language. Right. (laughs) Right? So I like that. So that those are the three things that I try to tie together for people when they're, when I'm working with them on those core values. And so the book kind of takes them through that name of the book is surrender the outcome. 
uh, because I think that's what we really should be doing. I think we should be busting our ass, doing everything we can, fighting, you know, trusting the process, and then we get to the end of it and we surrender the outcome. Whatever happens, happens. We've got to trust the, what we've gone through and what we've done to do it. And so, you know, that's what we tell our guys in practice. Like, practice for a week. You're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna do everything we can to put ourselves in the best situation to be successful. And then on Friday night, surrender the outcome. Just let it go. Just go. Just go play. Like, go do your thing. And so. Um, the books, the book is in like, it's not done. It's like in the process of the publishing. I'm trying to figure out how to publish it and whether I should publish it like real or publish it like self publish it. Cause I don't know anything about, I mean, I read a lot of books, but I sure just, I don't know how to write them or <laughs> right. what to do with them. But it's, it, I do have it to that point. Um, to the published point, it's had, it's been edited and all that stuff. It, it was a cool process. Uh, good, good luck with it. It sounds fascinating. And, and, and I, I if or when it's available, I'll, I'll I'll get the first or second copy. I can just about promise you. There's a couple of readers out there that I know that'll beat me to it, no matter how damn hard I try. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll try to get one of the earliest for sure. And I appreciate uh, what it takes to 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 step out of your comfort zone and do something like that, and uh, that embodies a, a lot of what we've talked about. So. Brooke, a lot of times the, the last question I ask has become somewhat typical, and this there will be a twist on this one, is I love to ask coaches in, in an all-consuming profession like this one, how do you balance the job with, with faith, with family? Um, and, and, and when you're coaching your own son, uh, at times it becomes that much more difficult. Now, I think there's a whole new twist on it with what you and I have talked about tonight in that you know, I can sit down and have dinner with my son after a game and he can and he can roll his eyes and say, Dad, don't don't tell me I wasn't in a stance one more time. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You, you, yeah. Do you ever get the eye roll at any point in time when you're around the dinner table with, oh, here we go again. I didn't have my critical behavior. I didn't I, I didn't have that locked in like I was supposed to. Um, I mean, how, how do you create that balance between and I guess maybe I know somewhat of the answer already based on what we've said is. You're, you're you're creating a lifestyle with how you're coaching and what you're building your program on. But how do you create balance between what that job is to you and how it is to do that job and then what it means to have a, a faith balance and a family balance and, 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 and separate those things? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I think it's the same thing. It becomes exhausting when you can't balance those things. And I think a lot of people, I know I did when I started out, like I, I felt like I was – I was the cool guy because I would stay up all night and I would do this and that and I would not, you know, I, I would, I would you know, be rude to my wife and my family because I was so consumed. I was trying to win the next game. Like, I know it all sounds cool at the time, but, you know, once you get some perspective on it, you realize how stupid you really were. Um, but the, the faith piece is, is easy for me because that's my core values. All my core values are based in, are based, you know, biblically in the faith. Um, and, and what I believe. And so that makes it easy. That's honestly, that's a, that was a big part of why I did, why I chose them and why I decided to go to them because I feel like, you know, I've always taught at a public school. Um, but I don't think tough, passion, unified and thankful. Like those are, those are life things. Those aren't a, a, a religion or a spiritual thing. Um, but for me, it's a way for me to live my faith live it actually live it and share share what i think is important with people um so that part of it i get to do all the time um my family part gabe and i definitely butted heads this year at the beginning of the season um and it was really 
it was really my fault. Like I, I was dragging stuff on. And so when I started thinking about it, it, I don't know, it was probably a third of the way into the season. I started, if I wanted to talk to him about something specific that had to do with basketball, I had a meeting with him just like what I would have at school with anybody else. Um, that was probably the biggest switch instead of I'll just, I'll just talk to him on the way home or I'll talk to him when we get home tonight. It was like, if I was going to talk to one of our other guys about something that they weren't doing, then I would, I decided I would talk to him in that same way at the same time in the same place. Uh, and that helped us a lot. Um, and then, you know, as far as our family goes, I've just been really lucky. Like my, you know, I've been married to my wife for a long time. Um, she, we started dating when I was playing. I've always loved basketball. Um, and she's just always been very supportive of that. And it's, so it's, I never have to separate basketball and family. Like it's the same thing for us. That's just what we do. And so like, oh, don't take your laptop on vacation to watch film. She would never say that. <laughs> she, she would, she, I mean, and she's not mad about it. You know, I know there's some people who would not say it and they'd be bitter. And again, she, she just, I mean, she, um, you know, she supports what I do and she, I think she understands the, how much it means to me and how much it can impact other kids. And so, um, she's always been, she's just always been really supportive of it. Well, Brooke, I, it's been a, a phenomenally fast hour. We're, we're actually a little bit over an hour right now, but just over. And uh, I try to keep them to an hour. I think it's been fantastic. I hope you've enjoyed uh, sharing your story a little bit and sharing some of the things that are important to you. I know we've got regular listeners that will absolutely uh, find a great value in some of the things that you talked about tonight. So I want to thank you again uh, for doing it. Um, this, this is the part of the podcast where I get to the – it used to be awkward. Now it's just not anymore. Like the, the rule on the podcast is the guests need to send the host a T-shirt from their program. And so uh, I, I, I'd love to get a Centerville basketball shirt. But, but you tell you what, you can keep the shirt and just we got to find a way, pandemic or no pandemic. I just want to come down and watch your guys work out or practice. Oh, you're and, welcome. Anytime for and, that. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll get down. Maybe I'll bring back a shirt from when I do that. Um, yeah, but but I'm really that. I'm really curious to to just to just see your guys with one another and 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 watch what you guys do on the floor and um, you know when the season starts it's going to get tougher like I said my son's a senior and I'm want to be committed to what he's doing and and I've got two year old twins at home that mean that life life kind of revolves around them a little yeah. bit too but definitely we'll be in touch want to get down and check things out and if there's ever anything up this way that you need or want don't hesitate to ask but. I just want to wish you the best of luck getting through what's left of the fall and hopefully getting your season started relatively uh, normal and on time. That sounds great, John. I appreciate the opportunity. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we will talk again soon. Again, for the listeners there, Surrender the Outcome will be the book that one day you're going to want to want to have on your uh, bookshelf, and, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll try to help spread the word on that also. And I, and I was serious earlier. I talked about the fact that I'm going to start trying to put together a series of shorter, maybe like, three guests, 20 minutes each to talk about a topic, the core values thing you kind of talked a little bit about. I'd like to get into some of your X's and O's uh, and yeah. maybe down the road we could pick a, a a time on a weekend or something when when we're not as busy. We could, if I could steal 20, 25 minutes from you, I might do that. All right. That sounds great. I'd love to. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.